Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week, I'm going solo. The reason is, is that uh, our guest canceled. We're recording two of these a week now, and everybody kind of opted for the second one this week, which is just going to be a panel episode. We're talking about the 10x engineer thing, which I have a ton of thoughts on, and I'm, I'm just not going to jump into it. This is related to it, though. This episode is sponsored by GitLab Commit. GitLab's inaugural user event brings together the GitLab community to connect, learn, and inspire. Speakers will showcase the power of DevOps in action through strategy and technology decisions, lessons learned, behind-the-scenes looks at the development lifecycle, and more. Learn how to innovate the future of software development by registering today. GitLab Commit Brooklyn, September 17th, and GitLab Commit London, October 9th. You can find it at devchat.tv slash GitLab Commit. So I've been thinking quite a bit about this and... I kind of have this core idea that I, I want to explore, especially across devchat.tv, because we've set our mission as uh, creating quality podcasts for every programming community. But to what outcome for the programming communities, right? And generally, it has something to do with keeping current. It has something to do with helping people build the careers that they want. I'm still kind of fiddling with that a little bit. I, I did an episode a while back that we've kind of used as a filler episode for pretty much all the shows now. And so I'm going to dive into how to stay current because I think this is an important topic. And to be honest, there are a handful of questions that I get asked a lot. And this is one of them. How do I stay current? Right? How do I stay on top of things? And the basic answer is, is that it depends. And I'm, I'm going to talk through some of these things. It depends, really depends on what you want, right? What do you want out of your career? Where do you want to end up? And it's a question that not a lot of people ask, right? And so they feel overwhelmed because they see stuff coming out about new technologies, new build systems, new libraries, new ways of doing things. We're seeing a lot of this in the web development with, say, um, frameworks and things like that. But even in areas where we're talking about mobile development or AI or blockchain or all of these different things that kind of figure into where, where you're going to end up, right? It's like, oh, there's this new way of doing this and there's a new way of doing that and there's a new technology that's supposed to make this easy. And all of a sudden, you're, you've got this pile of things that you feel like you have to learn. And the reality is, is that some of them you probably ought to and some of them you can probably safely ignore, at least for now. And so when we go back to it, it's like, okay, so why? Where are you trying to end up? Where are you trying to get to? And a lot of people still don't have a good answer for that. And generally, the answer that they do give me is something around, well, I want to be able to move quickly if I lose my job, right? I, I want to be marketable in the market. And even then, I mean, unless you're working on really, really old or really, really, what, obscure technology. So I've talked to people, for example, that are using like XJS, EXTJS on the web or people who are continually working in things like Objective-C in the mobile space, or, you know, they're, they're working on some old version of Android or, you know, things like that. They're working in jQuery and Backbone, which are not kind of the, the big technologies. Hey, Joe. Hey. I kind of punted and I'm doing kind of a solo thing, but uh, you're welcome to join in. What happened? Well, our guests canceled or rescheduled. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. there were people here, but yeah. They heard that you were going to talk and they said, I'm not, I'm not into listening to Chuck. Well, Amy had a meeting, so she's probably going to be either in next week or not at all this week. She might show up for the next one in an hour and a half. But, gotcha. yeah. I, I can't make that one. So what are you doing? I'm talking about how to stay current. 
this is right up your alley with Dev Ed podcast, right? So it is. Yeah. So uh, I was basically in the middle of a monologue about basically why people should uh, should stay current, and it, it, not not like why they should stay current, but a lot of people they they want to stay current, and then they look at all the lists of new things coming out, and they feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm looking at things, and I'm saying, look, instead of getting that list of all the new things that came out in JavaScript or uh, what have you. Instead, what they should be doing is looking at where do I want to end up? Where do I want to take my career? Do I want to work at a specific company? Do I have some outcome, some goal? Do I want to become a speaker? Those kinds of things. And then tailoring their learning to that. Right. And so then it's not, oh, I have to go learn all the ins and outs of Webpack or you know whatever the new you know build system of the week is or new framework of the week is, it's okay, well, I want to go work with these kinds of people or I want to go do these kinds of things or speak on these kinds of topics. So I'm going to tailor my learning to that and have it shorten your list so that you're focused on those things. Hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you have any specific examples on that or any anything to add to that. But I was just thinking about how sometimes when we're looking at jobs, we choose jobs for tech. In fact, I read a survey they were looking at the reasons that people choose jobs. And it was, they were actually, it was a Stack Overflow survey, in fact. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember this, but they were also looking at some gender differences. And so for men, the number one reason that they chose a job was the tech stack. Yeah, it was only a slight leader over, uh, I think the secondary item was like environment or something. But, and then they talked, to, I, I don't remember what they were, uh, what they went broke it down by gender differences, but I thought that was pretty interesting. That it's the tech that is the thing that people care about the most. It's something that they want to learn, which definitely resonates one with me and with the people that I've worked with. They they oftentimes choose a job and say, "I'm going to go to this job because there's something here I want to work with, whether it's something I want to learn or something I want to work with." Right. Right. Rather than choosing a place because it's a great place, and I don't care what the tech is. Yeah, and see, at the beginning of my career, I was very much along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was the guy that was going, I want to work in Rails. I want to, you know, I want to learn these techniques or tools with regards to Rails. And after about two jobs, I learned pretty fast that it, it mattered much more to me, the people I was working with. Right. So are you okay to give me a little bit of license to shift the topic ever so slightly for a moment? Yeah, absolutely. And talk about something that is definitely related to this, but a slight variation on this. So at Thinkster, right, we have this Uh big application that was, they started writing it, I think, in 2012 or 2013. And when would you say was the peak heyday of Rails? I mean, let's see. I got in to Rails in like 2006, 2007. It probably peaked a little later than that, maybe 2008. You know, it, it was pretty popular up through, say, 2010. It really didn't start to decline, I guess, in comparative popularity. Because uh, it's funny, people talk about the decline of these different technologies. And in a lot of those communities, they're still growing. They're bigger than they've ever been. Right. It's just that some of these other te- uh, technology communities are growing faster. Right. And That's so, definitely the truth uh, in the Angular React world, right? Like yeah. Angular on absolute numbers is growing, right? Yeah. There are more people using Angular today than yesterday, and that will be true tomorrow, and that will be true for quite a while still. 
yet React is actually growing faster. Of course, there's tons of fake news. I read this hilarious blog post where somebody was saying the most popular front end framework of last year was Vue.js, you know, so for 2018, yeah. Vue.js, which is <laughs> so far from the actual truth, but it did have the most, it did have the most GitHub stars, but yeah. right, like go find a job and do it working with Vue. That, that's a challenge. Right. But uh, so, going back to the Rails thing, I would have thought it was like 12, 2012 when was so the peak. 2012 was when it really started to, I guess, slide back from the main consciousness, 2012, maybe 2013. You know, a lot of people started moving off toward things like Elixir or Node. Right. Yeah. I read a great article on what does Node have that Rails doesn't have. And this person was, they were a Rails developer for four years, and then they've been doing Node for like two uh-huh. They just finally got to a point where they couldn't find jobs in Rails, and so they ended up having to take a job in Node to, a couple of years ago. Right. And so I inherited this big project that's in Rails, and right. I played around with Rails back in probably that same time frame, 06, 07, when it was like getting going crazy and on that's fire. That's when it was super hot. And I guess that's yeah. the thing, is if you're grading on the growth curve, yeah, 06 through about 09, 2010 <laughs> was the huge growth curve of it. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it kind of leveled off and stayed popular through probably 2013, 2014. And, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, people are starting to go use other things now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I inherited this. And th- there's some other different problems with the project in that it's a, on an old version of Rails, on right. an old, uh, old version of Node, an old version of the database. Um, Postgres? Postgres, yes. Old version of Postgres. So there's these issues, and so we're like looking at what we're going to do, you know. And the talk keeps coming up, well, we should rewrite to a modern stack, right? Uh-huh. And the thing is, is that for what this type, this is a content-based site. A right. content-based site, Rails is such a perfect fit. Yes. And in this blog post, this person makes this point, like, no matter what, if I'm building a website... I could tell you, you know, after having spent years in Node and then with my years in Rails, I'm more productive as a developer in Rails. So I kind of was, I think it's interesting to talk about this aspect of keeping up to date. And yet there are things for which you might be in the position of, hey, I've got this tool that I'm happy with, Uh that I like, that I feel productive in, that's a very viable tool. And yet the industry seems to be moving on to something else, regardless of, the viability of the tool. Right? right. Now, in this blog post, the guy didn't address like client-side rendering, which Rails doesn't do client-side rendering, and it does have stimulus, but we're moving to this world where everybody wants everything client-side rendered. And a content site app type app, that doesn't really matter as much. You want matter. some, yeah. but so that, you know, in this case, the uh, Thinkster has React sprinkled into the uh, Rails, but it's still essentially Rails you know, through and through. It's like 95% of the code base is Rails and 5% is React. Right. So it's interesting to consider when you're looking at what to do about keeping up to date that you might have skills and technologies for which you have jobs, you're getting paid. You're, well, there are plenty of Rails developers out there right now. They're getting paid. And yet the technology has seemed like the number of jobs that are available in that technology is starting to decline both as a percentage and probably as an absolute. We're probably, I, I assume we're reaching that point with Rails. Based on my own experience of just trying to find people who actually do Rails, uh, how difficult that is. But keeping up to date when you're almost being forced to move to new technologies, right? 
It's yeah. one thing to keep up to date with, oh, I'm excited about this new hotness. I want to go learn this. I want to go learn that. I want to go learn another thing. But then there's also another aspect of, well, I'm happy with what I'm at, but I also want to make sure that my career stays viable. And I'm not really excited to do the other things. In fact, I might feel like they're a loss to go and do some some of these the things that are now becoming popular. And yet, that's where it is. And I know backbone developers who are really frustrated having to learn Angular. They liked backbone, yeah. you know? And as, when the industry moved away from uh, backbone, it was a relatively short-lived stint. But when they did, there was a lot of unhappy people who were being forced to learn something new. Right. It's definitely interesting from that perspective, right? Where it's, I can't find a job doing the technology that I know or do well or love doing or, you know, however you reckon that. Right. Versus, you know, doing a technology where you can consistently find work and find, you know. Right. When Svelte takes over the front-end world and nobody's doing Angular and React and Vue anymore, <laughs> right? And we're all forced yeah. to leave all the tools that we like. Um, well, that's part of my approach. You know, I had this big monologue plan, but I like the discussion better, is that you you should be looking at, yeah, where you're at and, and where you want to end up. But some of your time, I usually push for about 20, 25% of your time mm-hmm. should be in areas where you think technology is headed, right? Right. And so, you know, that could be AI, that could be another framework, it could be another platform, it could be, you know, whatever. But, you know, the other 75%, if you're working in a job that you're happy in and they're using Backbone and you're plugged in enough in the Backbone community to where if that job goes away, you're pretty sure you can get another one and you'll be happy there. Mm -hmm. Spend the other 75% of your time learning Backbone stuff. Hmm. You know, on that same vein, the idea of keeping up to date, there's easily two aspects to that. One is what's cool and what's hot and interest. Well, what's interesting, Right. right? And then what's valuable and appropriate for your career. Right. And your career path and your career plan. As you're a developer, yeah, you are forced to kind of stay up to date. Otherwise, you could be you could end up getting trapped. And as you said, if there's an old technology, if there's an ex- a technology that you love and you want to work with that, then you know you could stick around with that. But if you also want to make sure that you are marketable, and if you end up losing your job, that you can find a new job, then you have to worry about what are people hiring for, and you can't get too far away from that. Now. We had a uh, on the other podcast, the DevEd podcast. We had Uncle Bob Martin mm-hmm. on, and he said something that really struck me at the at the time, and I love it's stayed in my mind since then. Which is the stuff that's really important is the stuff that doesn't change. Yeah. Well, right? and the other thing that I was going to put out there is that if you have a really solid, deep knowledge of Backbone, and you come and you apply to my job where you're doing Angular, or React, or Vue. And you demonstrate that you've got this ability to learn and go deep and blah, blah, blah. And you have a lot of experience doing that. I'll probably hire you anyway, because I know that, yeah, sure, you're not going to be as productive up front. But down the line, if I can keep you there and keep you happy, Mm -hmm. you're going to excel in three to six months. Right. So... That's an interesting point, right? And again, this is something that these are things a developer needs to think about when they're considering their career. Yeah. Right. And the path of, of that career and the viability of different technologies and being able to get hired, right? Of what they learn. Because you could say that, but if you get a developer in who has stuck with an older technology almost 
stubbornly and hasn't been keeping up to date, a lot of people will see that as a flag that this isn't the kind of person that maybe is the right kind of engineer. Yeah. I, now, I think, regardless of the truth of the situation, people yeah. will, can see that as a flag. Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess. In one way, it, you know, it can cut against you the way you're talking about. But, you know, if it, it's a dedication to I wanted to provide as much value as possible to my employer, and you're going to apply the same discipline to learning here as you did there, mm-hmm. then it can cut for you as well. And so it just depends on how you frame it, what the actual truth is, and whether or not whoever's interviewing you can tease that out and figure out, you know, that you're the kind of person they want to hire because you're going to, you are going to come and deliver. Right. That's good. If there's a really strong core underlying that, that should shine through regardless of the fact that you've been doing Backbone since, you know, for the last 10 years. Yeah. Well, Uh, and Backbone was heavily based on things like Lodash and mm -hmm. a lot of the Lodash library influenced a lot of the standards in ECMAScript for JavaScript. And so, you know, if if you have a deep knowledge of JavaScript and ES6 and, you know, some of the Lodash stuff and things like that, then you've got some of the core that the rest of React or Angular or Vue are built on. And so you can also, you know, leverage that. Right. So I think there are a lot of ways that it can work for you. But yeah, I agree. There are also ways that it can work against you. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to bring out, you know, the big guns here, but I did read that 10x engineers learn always the latest technologies. We're doing 10x engineers on the next episode. So <laughs> hang tight on that. For anybody who didn't get the joke, search Twitter for 10x engineer and enjoy the the yeah, the dumpster fire. Yeah, we'll put a link to the tweet in the in the show notes. So, I think that there's more to talk about when it comes to maybe I'm radically varying off of what you were you were thinking about about staying up to date but for me well, I mean this is true till today but when I was in the core of hey I'm trying to be the heaviest most qualified engineer that I can be developer right, right? then I really considered a lot uh, I had I spent time thinking about a learning plan what are the things that I should learn to help myself get to the my next goal level as an engineer and I'm I hesitate to say that as a comparison for, you know, you're a better engineer than any somebody else, but instead, you know, as a reflection of what is right for me. And I mentioned these things of the things that don't change, right? Yes. After you get, I think, past maybe the first year or two, when you start to get some solid skills and some relevant technologies that people are hiring for, then you've got to start incorporating the things that don't change into your education. I agree. The thing is, I'm going to back up for just a second. You talked about how do I become the best qualified engineer that I can be? Mm-hmm. And to me, it's how can I become the best qualified engineer that I can be for the jobs that I actually want to do? Right. right? And right. so, and that may narrow the field some, you know, right, it, may, it may change the equation on, okay, well, I got to go learn these and I definitely, you know, I'd be wasting my time to go learn those, even though they're current and up-to-date technologies, because I really don't want to do React or you know, I really don't want to go do these forms of full stack because I don't want to learn these back ends or right. things like that. So, you know, if, if my goal is to go work at Facebook, then I'm going to go put my time into React. I'm going to go put my time into whatever they're using on the back end, which I think is still PHP. But I'm, I don't know exactly how they're doing that. But I'd go find that out and put those on my list and build the learning plan like you're talking about. Right. So that's interesting because a lot of what you talked about was very tactical, right? It yeah. was technology-based. Learning specific technologies for specific jobs. 
Do you think that that also reflects in the thing in when it comes time to learn the things that don't change? I 100% do. So for example, and I've said this on multiple shows, I'll continue to say it, but uh, I have a brother and a cousin that are both uh, going through CS programs right now. And they came to mm-hmm. me and they said, okay, so what, what of all the things that we're learning in college you should, you know, is the most important thing. And you told that, them nothing that they're wasting their time. And uh, kind of, <laughs> but, but they said, what's the most important skill for me to have to be successful as a, as a programmer. And I looked at them because, because they were ready to like go review all the notes from, you know, CS 243 or whatever. Right. right. And I looked at them and I said, the most important skill you can have is your ability to work with other people and your ability to communicate with other people. And so, you know, some of the soft skills, some of the leadership skills, some of the skills that don't change, like you're saying, as far as like, here are design patterns and things like that that are used in a lot of places that you may not even recognize when you're using them. Mm -hmm. Rails is full of them. A lot of the other libraries out there have them in there, whether the people who built them out know that they've put them in there or not. RxJS, for example, is used all over the place. And most of those operators basically boil down to design patterns. I mean, a lot of them are small design patterns, but they are. And so, you know, understanding these, you know, these building blocks to computer science. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you. All of those things play into it and you need to spend some time on, on each of them. Right. Because right. ultimately, yeah, as, as technology changes, those are going to be the things that serve you well in learning it or in working well with your team and being able to contribute. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of that in the 10X Engineer episode. But yeah, a lot of this really just comes down to how effective you are on the team you're working on. Mm -hmm. I get that. I get that. So, all right, going back to what was your, what was your, where were you at when I jumped in and interrupted you? We basically covered it at this point, but it was just the, look, you've got to, I was just getting to the point where I was going to say, look, so you've got to figure out where you want to end up. You know, if it's a specific job, if it's working with a specific type of person, if you want to find a mentor, if you, you know, whatever it is, you know, you've got to figure out how to get there and then make a plan. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's where I was getting to. So we've, we've basically covered it at this point. Interesting. So you also mentioned working with specific companies. Yeah. So I, I did interviews with a whole bunch of people when I wrote my uh, how, to, how to Get Your Dream Developer Job book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one guy, his goal was to work for a big company like Facebook, Google, IBM, you know, what, one of these big, well-known tech companies is where right. he wanted to end up. And so, yeah, you know, he had a short list of like five companies, Microsoft, you know, that he might want to go work at. And so it's like, okay, well, you've got to learn how they do things. And you know, make yourself into the kind of engineer they hire. Mm-hmm. You know, for other people, it's, you know, I want to be number two at a startup. Okay, well, what do you need to know in order to go out and build the MVP and then expand it out into a, a product that people want to use? Right. You know? and, and how do you make yourself attractive to co-founders who have the big ideas or, or make yourself the kind of person that can go find the business co-founder that's going to do all the stuff that you don't have time to do? Right. And so, you know, it's, it's the same kind of approach, but you've got to kind of have that in mind. So when I was, I think back in around 2012, I somehow got on this weird list where, and I think, I think it might have been because uh, I decided I had met the Angular team uh-huh. and I'd started talking to him about joining the Angular team and getting hired at Google. Right. And so 
I went through the the interview process. I failed miserably. The most one of the most miserable failures of my life. Although I did learn a lot, I ended up trying again later on. But shortly after that first interview, all of a sudden, Silicon Valley firms are calling me left and right. Recruiters are calling me. Hey, you know, we just like could come interview here and there. So Facebook was one of the ones that called me. Mm-hmm. And so I went through their initial interview process, got through there, then got to the on-site interview. And so they flew me out. They brought me in for an on-site interview, asked me to basically implement like a specific kind of display algorithm in the web on the whiteboard, of course, the, the most the most useful type of coding interview there is. Uh, not, not said with any sort of irony at all. I definitely don't say that with any kind of honor, irony. And if you can't hear the irony in my voice, I, it's dripping with it. <laughs> Sorry, sarcasm. That's really what I'm looking for. Not said with any kind of sarcasm. Really, I'm full of sarcasm. But I didn't pass their interview either. But a friend of mine, uh, somebody that has been on this podcast quite a few times, Merrick Christensen, he also just happened to interview at the same with Facebook roughly at the same right. exact time. And he was offered a job. He ultimately didn't take it, but he did pass their interview process. And we kind of discussed what the, pro- the interview process was. We were both given the same problem. What they actually did was they asked us to like implement this thing. It was kind of a basic HTML layout type, a CSS type problem. And I knew jQuery really well at the time. So I implemented it using jQuery. But he knew the raw DIME API. And back in 2012, that was a lot less popular to know than it is today. Back then, you know, right. people knew jQuery. We're learning it more now. But that was the clincher. That was what actually got him the job. And the funny thing was, is if you like looked at what, Facebook was doing at the time. I mean, like if you look at it today, that's like React. Well, you think if I want to have a job on Facebook, I got to know React. But I think there's a good lesson there in that if you if there's a specific job that you want, that fundamentals, right, and underlying stuff and knowing things deeply can be a really important aspect of getting a job at a company that you really want. Also, I discovered there's a huge like this huge marketplace of helping people get jobs at big Silicon Valley firms, all kinds of books and yeah. services and groups and things that you can buy and spend money and time on to help you figure out and how to get a job at one of these Silicon Valley firms. But right. I think it was interesting to me that the technology that they were actually using at the time, which I, I don't remember even what they were doing, but I felt like I knew I was prepared, but it was the person who actually had a deeper more core understanding of some of the fundamentals of uh, the underlying technologies that were used that ended up passing the interview process when I did not. So I think that's a useful lesson as well when you look at your, if your plan is about getting a job at a specific company. Now, I want to ask you a question, Chuck, about when figuring out your learning plan, should you be focused on being more of a generalist or more of a specialist? My knee-jerk answer is a specialist. And I can kind of explain why, but again, it depends on where you want to be, right? Some companies really thrive on having that generalist, you know, in their organization doing the things that they need done. And other organizations, they kind of have that person already that can kind of tie everything together Mm -hmm. and is good at it. And so they, they need the specialists. I will tell you that specialists tend to get paid more. So if that's important to you, a lot of this comes out of my freelancing, right? If you're specialized, you can also narrow down where the opportunities are, where you can go and really just shine. And so, you know, if, if, you, if you're a specialist 
in Angular. And I think you can specialize in Angular. But what you're going to do when you specialize in Angular is you're going to go deep on how Angular works, right? Instead of, you know, focusing on the entire ecosystem around Angular. But the, the flip side is, is then if, if you need something out of Angular that's a little bit non-standard, then you know where to go to plug that in, right? Right. And so you're going to go find the companies that are, yeah, they're, they're kind of building deep and hard on Angular itself. And then, the, you know, they can kind of roll past that or, or react or whatever, right? And so you mm-hmm. go deep on, on, you know, maybe it's Redux or maybe it's, Redux is probably a poor example because it's a relatively simple library. But you get the idea, right? So you understand it so deeply that you can attack a lot of these angles that other people can't attack. And it's not because they can't figure it out. It's just that you, you're already at that place where you know how, how it'll go together and you can make it easy, easy to implement for other people. But the flip side is, is, yeah, I mean, if you want to be the one that's kind of got your fingers in, you know, all of the front end or the entire stack or things like that, then being a generalist is probably more the direction you want to go. The real problem with a lot of it is, though, is that, yeah, you're going to be competing with all the other generalists where if you're a real expert in uh, geolocation technology or internationalization or something, and the company has a real need for that, you're kind of a shoe in to get hired. And you can, because you're only one of a handful of candidates that they're even going to look at because they know you can solve their problem, you can ask them for a higher salary. Or, you know, as a contractor, you can ask them for a higher rate. Right. So again, you know, for me, it, it comes back, I guess, a little bit to that scoreboard as far as like, you know, where that number clocks in. But yeah, in a lot of ways, you're, you're going to be a, a specialist, but you do have to have enough generalist qualities to be able to work with other people again on that project. Right. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So I think I would disagree a little bit with uh, what you're saying, that as much as being a specialist is really important, that I think that being a generalist is, in the long run, one of the more valuable things. So especially when you're starting out, if somebody were to come to me and say, what should be my game plan for specializing versus generalizing? I would, act, I would tell them first, pick whatever it is that your company that you finally got hired on is doing, and become a specialist in that, right? Get as far, as deep, as quickly as you can in the core technologies that they're, that they're using. Once you feel like you've reached a pretty good level there where you feel competent, you feel very proficient in the thing, then stop going deeper. Instead, come back up and start broadening your horizons, right? Start learning the things that you aren't necessarily doing exactly every day, but get more generalized. So as much as we're in a realm where there's a lot of front-end developers. I think that learning 
database design, both SQL and NoSQL, uh-huh. is an important skill that shouldn't be, you shouldn't get too far before you've got experience with that. Learning the networking side of things, how HTTP itself works underneath the hood, right? Getting good with that. Learning a framework that you don't actually use. Learning a programming paradigm you don't use. If you're using an OO paradigm, learn FP. If you're using an FP paradigm, learn OO. But learning languages, learning a framework that you don't use, learning a language that you don't use so that you can start to adapt, start looking at learning the things that don't change, right? Patterns of practices, code smells, refactoring, unit testing, that sort of thing. And start generalizing a little bit and then kind of maybe like go back and forth, alternate or oscillate back and forth between, all right, come back and get specialized again and get deeper in specialization. Then go back to, all right, what's another thing that's outside of the realm that I normally deal with that I can, you know, you know, learn and become more generalized in? Because one of the bad things that can happen to your career is, you know, react to nothing else. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of a false dichotomy there. I think everybody should be experimenting with other things. I mean, if you find something else that's lucrative and interesting and something that you're interested in, you, you want to learn. I mean, there's no reason why you can't turn around and specialize in that instead, right? Right. So, okay, I've kind of, I've specialized in React and I've specialized in these particular aspects of the stack. And then, you know, I'm out there and I'm, I'm checking out other technologies and it turns out that there's this really great, you know, I, I really get hooked on Kubernetes, right? And Docker. And so there's right. no reason why I can't start specializing over there. I've still got the skills that I need in React for right now, but this other thing's kind of getting me going, and so I'm going to go deep on that. And then you can essentially, you know, gain another deep skill set there. And so, yeah, I, I agree that everybody should be broadening out a bit and trying new things and understanding the technologies out there. I also agree that once you get to a certain depth, the value proposition of understanding beyond that probably isn't greatest. Like, understanding how HTTP protocol actually works, unless you're writing code at that level, you know, it may give you some advantages, but probably not enough to justify your time versus some other technology that you could go learn more about. So I I think there is a balancing act there. I think it's going to be different for everybody. But I agree with you to the extent that, yeah, you know, the things that you're learning or the things that apply to the job that you, you want to move to next you know, go deep on those. And then, yeah, go look at the other stuff and see what else is out there. Right. So what, what approaches, and this is something that you've talked extensively about on DevEd, but what approaches do you then recommend to people once they've decided, okay, I, I need to go learn this technology. So let's say that they really want to go deep on NGRX, you know, because I know that you do probably more Angular than anything else, or you're more familiar with Angular than the other, you know, platforms. So NGRX is state management for, Angular, for those that aren't aware. Yeah, Redux for Angular. Yeah, so it, let's say that I, I decide, okay, well, you know, NGRX is fascinating. A lot of people are out there using it. My company is picking it up. So I'm going to go deep on it. What do they do next? That's a, that's a really great question. I think probably my opinions are going to be no more valid than yours are. You've gone through this exact same process as many times as I have. As many times uh, as I've started a new podcast about technology, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Just saying. It's pretty interesting, the world that we live in, because there's a lot of educational material that's out there and available. And that's really great. 
I think the hardest part is actually finding the best material for you in the moment. Right. right. And so the one thing that I think really matters the most is a combination of discipline, right? Really devoting the time, really deciding you're going to do it. If it's not part of your job, then, you know, it's on the outside of your job. So you've got to be really disciplined and focused and sacrifice, right, in order to spend that time. So a combination of that. And I think the next most important thing is to actually create a project or pretty quickly get to where you want to create. You have an idea for a project to utilize this new technology that interests you. And if you notice, both things really kind of come back to motivation. That by far the biggest factor in learning effectively is in motivation. So one, the external uh, sort of forced uh, discipline motivation, which you can do things like find accountability partners and study groups and all that sort of thing, those sorts of things to get some extrinsic motivation as well as the intrinsic motivation of I'm just going to be disciplined, I'm going to force myself, I'm going to create a regimen and a study schedule and all this sort of stuff. That sort of motivation. But the natural motivation comes from the interest, right? And a lot of that could come from the interest in just the technology. Oh, this is a cool technology. I'm really enjoying playing around with it. But after a while, that tends to fade. And so what can help that interest keep going is a personal project, utilizing that technology that you've, of which you find the personal project engaging and interesting. So when I first learned to program, I learned really fast and really effectively because I was playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons in my teen years, and I was writing a program for Dungeons and Dragons Dungeon Masters is like an assistant program. And so every time I wasn't playing, I was like wanting to add to this tool that I was actually using in my games and make it better. And I was seeing all the things that it needed and could have. And so I was so engaged. And so I wanted to add these features, but that drove me to learn the technology better and better and better. I recently taught uh, a friend of mine uh, to, I was helping her learn to do HTML and CSS and, and Angular programming. And what I didn't start with was, here's a tutorial, let's work through this tutorial. Now here's the next tutorial, let's work through that tutorial. Instead, I said, what in your life, is? what are your hobbies and interests? And in this case, she was a big, they do a lot of acting, right? right. So that, that one's a hard one, right? It's very separate away from technology. But we, I started talking about tools that she uses and she does screenwriting because they do some of their own they're, they're creative and they do their, have their own YouTube channel. So she does screenwriting and, and playwriting, sort of not really playwriting, but screenwriting and then organizing uh, shoots and things like that. And there are actually some tools that are out there. And so then I sat down and I said, what about the tools don't you like? And she started showing me, well, there's this tool and it does this, but I really wish that it would do this. And this right. tool that does this and really wish it would do this. And I said, well, what if you could build the better, you know, mousetrap, build that tool, but better. And she was like, that would be so awesome. It would really help me. And that's where we started was, okay, first, let's just replicate most of the basic functionality of that tool, and then we can start adding in the features that you wish were there. Right. And that was motivating. So she ended up, like, we were meeting every day for like half an hour, and I told her that she needed to work at least an hour on her own. And oftentimes, she's working two or three hours on her own because she just found it really engaging between the technology and this product that she wanted to build. So for me, that's the number one thing. I don't think there's a lot of great tutorials in general out there, which is why I'm working on Thinkster is to fix that problem. But that's a conversation for another time. But that is the most important thing. And then the tutorials that you find out there, regardless of whether they're, you know, an amazing tutorial or a little bit less or even, you know, an out of date one that teaches you some things that doesn't doesn't really apply anymore. Regardless of that, you will learn a ton 
once you are driven to, I've got a project that I really want to build for myself right? in this, and I need this, I want to do it in this technology. This technology is the right technology for this thing. So for me, that's it. That's the key. Yeah, I, I agree with you in a lot of ways. I think eventually you have to get to the point where you're building something with it. I mean, that's the entire point, right? So you're, you're essentially practicing what you're going to wind up doing with the technology anyway. A lot of times, though, people get stuck on, oh, well, there are a bunch of books, there are a bunch of videos, there are a bunch of this and a bunch of that. And for me, at least, I encourage people to figure out kind of what works best for them. So is it videos? Is it a written tutorial? Is it a walkthrough? Is it the documentation? You know, so go try the different kinds. You know, spend an hour with each one. And then you'll figure out pretty fast, oh, I really enjoy the videos and the videos are going to help me get going. Or I'm going to go pick up the book because the book really helps me get going. Or I'm going to go find a walkthrough that somebody's put together on how to build a Twitter clone. And so I'm going to do that. And then once you get that together and you're kind of going, okay, this is where I'm at. Yeah. Then the next thing you want to do is kind of get the, the doing and practicing going alongside of your learning, be it through video or books or whatever. And so then it's, okay, I just read this chapter or watched this video on this, uh, on this topic or technique or you know, library or feature of the framework or whatever. And so now I'm going to apply it to this project that I'm working on. And then you can kind of work through the next. And eventually what I find happens is I'll get, I guess, just enough to get dangerous. And then I'll start saying, oh, but I want this feature. And then I'll kind of branch off of the beaten track. Right. And I'll go, okay, well, I need to learn this other thing or this other technique or this other way of doing things so that I can get this next feature in. And I'll right. deviate from the, the tutorial or the walkthrough at some point. Right. There's some good and bad in there, right? Because the problem with learning a technology in a lab, what I mean is I'm just walking through tutorials is that you learn that technology and the parts of the technology that have, that you're, or you're missing out on learning the parts of the technology that actually matter when doing a real world app. Yeah. They they isolate you from a lot of the, the problems, the, the integrations with how does it work in this situation and that situation. So as an example, in the fall, last fall, I made a, a decision that I was going to learn Vue, right? Yep. So I walked through several, two or three Vue tutorials. Very interesting, very good stuff. But then I decided I was going to do my own personal project. Started writing a Vue app, and I didn't, I heard, like, I didn't even get 20, 30 minutes into the Vue app, right? Before I was like stuck because none of them had ever taught me where to put my business logic because they were creating these simple apps that didn't really have yeah. complex business logic. It was logic. all UI, yeah. Yeah. And I was like stuck. I didn't, and I'm, so I'm asking friends like, hey, where should I put like this type of logic? Where should I put this? Where should I put that? And none of them, none of the tutorials taught me what I should be doing. And so the farther, I could have gone really far down the road in view and learned about a lot of different pieces, you know, UI libraries and more state management and this and that, and still ended up not learning this core thing about how to do an app. And then when I get to the time where, oh, I got to do this thing, I'm now missing out on a really important piece of that technology. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so I think that there's, there's good and bad what you said. The, the bad part would be you get drawn off and now you're working with an entirely different technology for a long time and not really learning what you wanted to be learning, right? Yep. But the good part is that you're going to uncover the pieces of how to do an app that, you're, that the tutorials aren't going to cover. 
authentication and authorization are two of those classic ones where a lot of tutorials just sort of sidestep that issue because it's so unique or database integrations, right? Or API integrations, right? No matter what they say, every two REST API endpoints are different. And so, and if you're using NoSQL, you're going to have different RESTful APIs than if you're using SQL. And that really changes how you architect your app on the front end. That sort of stuff bleeds down. And even if you're using GraphQL, it's just going to be, the, the shape of things is going to be different based on your server-side implementation. So there's good and bad to that distraction of building an app and then getting, oh, I want to go here and here and here. You got to yeah. avoid the squirrel fever, right? Yep. A bit to stay focused on what you want to learn, but there is some value to some of those distractions. Yep, I agree. How do you know if you've learned a technology well enough to be able to move on to the next thing? That's a really subjective criteria. Yes, I know. I was I thinking agree. like, go get a job in it, is what you were going to say. <laughs> there you go. go. The next thing, like, wow, I don't know. I've been... Uh, I, I guess well enough to, you know, so I have this list of five technologies. How do I know I've learned technology A well enough to be able to go to technology B and learn it now? I don't know. I've been learning JavaScript for 12 years and I still don't yeah. feel like I'm ready to move on, move on and learn technology B. That was a pretty underlying fundamental technology, though. Yeah, there's a lot to it. There can't possibly be a clear answer to a question like that, right? I, I don't think there is either. And I think a lot of it really depends going back to, well, where do you want to end, end up, right? right? Is, you know, have I reached a proficiency level that's going to allow me to either build on it or do it at the level that I need to in order to, you know, reach whatever that end criteria was? Right. As much as I would consider myself an expert in Angular, there are plenty of places of Angular, parts of Angular that I either haven't really worked with at all in, produ- right. in a production environment, or I've worked with so little that I would still feel pretty uncomfortable working with them and would require a lot of like Google searching and blog post reading and stuff to really understand the best ways to use certain techniques. So there's definitely not some type of objective criteria you could use for that question. Instead, I think well, like what you said, so... You know, if I'm learning Vue and I just say, I want to learn Vue, I think I would, for me, take it to the point where, okay, I feel like I can build a typical app in Vue. Right. There's a lot of apps I couldn't build or I would, have, I would struggle with and have to learn a lot of new things, a lot of new things to build them in Vue, depending on other technologies. Like, did I learn Vueify, their, their UI library? Their, I think right. it's the material UI library, maybe not. So, you know, there's a, there's a big potentially a big gap in my view knowledge, but I could throw together a basic app. And for me, that was my criteria. And once I reached that point, then I'm ready to look at what's next and finally go learn Svelte so that I can join our great new overlords that are going to rule the front end universe. (laughs) I keep joking about that, but I kind of hope it ends up being true. I think Svelte's super cool, even though I've almost done nothing with it. But yeah, yeah, so... Brett or somebody on to talk to us about Svelte. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we totally should... So there isn't a clear answer to that question. You, I think, uh, and, and you might decide right up front, this is the point I want to get to, and then I'm going to move on. But then you get to that point and decide, whew, I really like what I'm doing. I want to get farther down the rabbit hole. You also need to, again, go come back to considering your career, right? How much of the learning is about your career? How much of it is just for fun, right? To just better yourself or just to do something that you enjoy. And if it's career-based, then you might have to make a hard decision of, yeah, I like this technology. I'd like to play around with it more. But for my career, I needed I need to stop here and move on to something else that is also going to be beneficial for my career, right? Yep. 
And I also want to just point out that uh, there's not really a wrong mix for that. A lot of people are like, well, you know, it should be all career focused. And other people are like, well, it's in my spare time. So it should just be, you know, for fun and, you know, to kind of level up in general. I don't think there's a right answer to that as far as how much of one or the other you do. I agree. I think one of the nice things about technology is it's hard to learn spend time learning a technology that doesn't benefit you in general. Even right. if it's like, well, I'm going to go and study, I'm going to try to pick a really old technology, Visual Basic 3. <laughs> right? And maybe somebody wouldn't do that, but maybe like Visual Basic still exists, but I don't know. Some technology that's kind of seen its day. Maybe, yeah. you know, back, there's still a lot of code written in Backbone. There's still a lot of code out there that's written in Backbone. You can still get jobs in it, but I would say in general, Learning backbone, there's, you're going to have a hard time finding jobs and very few people are going to value that skill on your resume nowadays. But if you really learn backbone, honestly, I think if you're doing front-end development right now and, all you, and you've, you know maybe React and maybe some Angular, it would be really valuable to actually go and learn backbone. You would learn so much really interesting stuff about state management, about change detection, because... Backbone was built before the days of when change detection got fairly complex. Right. And so it, it has a lot of similarities to React and how it handles some of its change detection. It's far more primitive. But man, you would actually learn a ton of stuff about how frameworks work, about how JavaScript works, about state management and change detection by learning Backbone today. Right. So it would benefit you even if nobody's going to say... Well, I wouldn't say nobody, but even if you have a hard time finding a job that's like, we really need somebody with some Backbone skills. Right, You have to actually have them in order to get this job versus we have some backbone, you're going to have to learn it. No, like we really need backbone. ASP, there we go. I'm going to pick ASP. Not ASP.net, ASP. Classic ASP. Like, yeah, classic ASP. There's like a one, two-year window when classic ASP existed and then .net came out. Yep. Yeah, again, you're going to learn stuff by learning that technology, even if you're going to have a hard time finding a job in ASP today. Yep, absolutely. So well, and it's nice. also interesting to see where a lot of this stuff came from. So, but that's a lot different than hey, I don't, I want to be a front end developer, but I don't know any of the frameworks, and I don't have a really solid background in JavaScript, in the web, and HTML, CSS, HTTP, and the web in general. I don't have a backbone background in that, but I, I really just like learning. I don't know, DBase. I'll pick a really old technology. I like, <laughs> right? Great, that's fun. But if you do care about your career and all you have is really dated skills, probably time to just bite the bullet, spend some time studying just for your career, get yourself to a good point in your career, and then go back to whatever it was your passion yeah. right, of, of, of learning. So, yeah, Absolutely. <clears throat> and that's back to the point that I was trying to make earlier is, you know, you should spend at least 20 to 25% of your learning time, in my opinion, learning things that look forward, where, where things are headed now. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So what um, you what, said twenty five percent break it down for me. hundred percent of my time, twenty five percent learning looking forward, what's the other seventy five percent look like? I think at least half of your time should be spent on things that are gonna apply to what you're doing right now. Okay. And so the other twenty to twenty five percent can kind of be whatever you want. So it you know, it could be a technology that you've always wanted to learn. It could be that some technology that's kind of an out there technology that you know, so if you're like you said you're doing OO or even JavaScript isn't like purely functional. So you could go pick up like a Lisp or Scheme or mm-hmm. Erlang or something that's, you know, full on functional programming. Or you could go pick up, 
a sort know. of broaden your horizon type of a yeah. thing. Or Roughly one quarter future looking, one quarter broaden your horizon, and one half to master the what you're doing today. Yeah, I think that's fair. Though that one quarter that's broaden your horizon, it could be the I've always wanted to learn this, right? So it, you know, it could be I'm a React developer and I just want to go do React Native, or I'm a React developer and I want to go see how far I can twist the framework around to do something that it was never intended to do, or right. I'm going to go work through this coding challenge, you know, system, you know, with React. And so I know React well, I'm just going to see how far I can take it, you know, see how well I know it based on this program or something. I don't know. It could be any of those. I kind of leave that one open, but I think half your time should be spent on, you know, how do I get further ahead in what I'm working on today? Or if you're looking for a new job, then the 50% should be spent on, you know, what do I need to learn for my next job? And then the other 20, 25%, you definitely should be spending that much time on, yeah, what's coming next. And so it could be learning a quote unquote modern framework if you're not working in one, or it could be, I'm going to go learn AI or blockchain or something that you think is up and coming that's, you know, going to around the corner within the next few years pay off for you in some way. Right. Okay. So what I didn't hear you talking about, I, I really liked your layout. But what I didn't hear you talking about was software engineering practices. For me, I felt like and that, that time can come software that engineering was important. It can come okay. into that fifty percent or that open, ambiguous twenty to twenty-five percent that I was talking about. Right. Okay. I kind of include all of those things in what you should be learning for your current situation, or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to move into a management role, then leadership skills in that looking to the future section. So it, it is a little bit open to that there. Right. Cool. All right. I like it. I'm going to put it into place. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting too. I mean, and we can talk about this for a second, but you know, you're running a company and I'm running a company. And so a lot of the time that I spend is not, you know, in that, that coder time, right? It's in making business connections and, you know, running my team and all of the other things that go into, you know, making this run. And so I, I apply a lot of the same, the same time allocation. So my 50% learning time is things like, you know, what are best business practices or sales practices or business development practices? And, you know, what's out there that's going to make me a better copywriter or, you know, things like that. And then the other 25% is, you know, looking at what's coming down the pipe and what shows we should be starting now that are going to, you know, possibly go big when the technology itself goes big. You know, what's kind of trending up now and what do I need to understand in order to get people on board? It's applicable in both situations. But uh, you're kind of in the same boat I am, you know, with getting Thinkster off the ground or getting better traction, I guess, is probably a better way to put it for Thinkster. But yeah, you know, so so I do the same thing with with the business stuff as I do with the technology stuff. Right. So uh, one thing that we didn't talk about and I've heard off and on over the years, a lot of people talk about code reading. How does code reading fit into learning? Code reading. Yeah. So people actually go crack open, say, the Angular source code or the React source code or go look at a project that's built in Angular that they're not building and seeing what other people are doing. That's an interesting one. I don't know that I've actually utilized that particular method very often. In the conjunction of like some kind of a blog post or a 
a video that talks about something and uses that as an example or walks through it. I've done that. One of my favorite, favorite videos of all was way back in the day. Um, I can't remember his name. He's, he works on, he's one of the Chrome, the big two Chrome DevRels. Uh, Paul Irish. Uh, Paul Irish. There you go. Thank you. So way back in the day, Paul Irish did this video called 10 Things They Learned from the jQuery Source Code. Yeah. And I watched that several times and I learned a lot, but I myself didn't like dig into the jQuery source code and figure it out. So I like that technique, but I would say that I'm not myself very comfortable or good at going in and just cracking open other people's code and learning from what they've written. To be honest, I think that's a lot of it's that's a hard one. Frameworks may be a little bit better, but especially like projects that are were, were written for by somebody else just because so much of it is the business code yeah. and so much of it is, is stuff that just doesn't make sense unless somebody explains it to you. I mean, how much time do you spend banging your head against the wall just trying to support the code that your coworker wrote three months ago on the project that you've been working on for the last six months, right? And trying yeah. to understand why the heck they did this or that or this or that in the context. So I don't know. I've personally never found that to be something I've found fruit and trying very much. So I haven't really done that very much. What about you? Yeah. I've done some. It's definitely a skill you have to learn. You have to do a bunch of and practice in order to get a lot out of it. And you also have to be willing to go into kind of the deep, dark corners of things, right? So it's like, okay, I see kind of what it's doing here, but it makes a call out to this other function or method, and it calls out to this other function or method, and you you kind of have to be willing to chase down some of these dark corners and go, okay, how is it doing this? Why is it doing this? Why is it implemented this way? What decisions were they making? What were they trying to avoid? And it just takes a certain mindset that you kind of have to learn as you go. And so a lot of times code reading is, I guess, better done with a mentor to begin with, somebody who can kind of help you ask those questions and then lead you into certain dark corners of the code. And then, and then you can kind of come back out of it. But I've learned techniques from looking at other people's code that I never would have learned in other ways. So right, hmm. it's another technique that I encourage people to at least try right, and see, see where that gets you. The other thing is, is as you read code, sometimes I can't help but make a pull request. This is misspelled. <laughs> or, you know, what, what, what if you did it this way? And a lot of times too, then you get the feedback. Oh, well, that, that's a good idea. Or we didn't do it that way because... And then you learn a little bit more that way. So Right. Back when we were starting up new shows, one of the shows that got started was Views on View. And one of the things that was really fun about that is that I got to know a bunch of really terrific people in the View community. And furthermore, one thing that happened that really hadn't happened on any of the other shows, we actually got a member of the core team to come on as a regular panelist on the show. We have Chris Fritz on there. The other thing is, is you may recognize some of the other voices. Ben Hong, who's on the official View News podcast, is also a panelist on the show. He's worked for Politico and now works for GitLab. We also have a bunch of other terrific panelists that come on and talk to you about what's going on in the Vue community. And because they're so closely tied to Vue and they talk to people about Vue all the time, they're very up-to-date and very knowledgeable about what's going on in the Vue community. So if you're looking for a way to learn Vue.js or if you're looking for a way to stay current with Vue.js and kind of have the water cooler conversations you wish you could have about it in places where maybe they're not using it, then definitely check it out. You can find it at viewsonview.com. Let's go ahead and do some picks and that that will give us a little bit of time for a break before we talk about 10X engineers in the next episode. Can I uh, put a spin on our picks then? Sure. Pick what you're learning. 
technology-wise, let's stick with technology. What are you learning or is on your the very next thing you're going to learn technology-wise? In your technology learning plan, right? What is the, either the current or very next thing on that list? Okay. So for me, there are two things that I'm, I'm picking up right now. One is Rail 6. I think it just came out. I'm, I'm trying to remember if it's out or if I'm playing with the beta, but I'm pretty sure it's out. So I'm looking at, you know, just learning some of the new features there. I didn't do a whole lot with Rails 5, even though I, you know, host the Ruby Rogues podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of playing with that and learning that. And then the next thing that I'm going to be learning technology-wise is containerization. So we're looking at Docker, um, Lambda functions or Azure functions or whatever you want to call them and things like that. So kind of the the cloud platform is the next thing that I'm looking at learning. Well, you should definitely check out uh, the big Docker course we've got over on Thinkster. We've got this crazy huge, it's like, I don't know, six hours long or something. Is that Julian's course? Mm-hmm. Yep. Julian Farr, and that guy knows... He knows his stuff. Three yeah. big, huge courses, three, four hundred different, three, three or four hundred videos. Yeah, we're going to so. have him on Ruby Rogues tomorrow. We're recording, so awesome. Uh, for me, the thing that I am learning right now is Gatsby. Oh, so, nice! I, again, this is su- surprisingly Thinkster related, but uh, or not surprisingly Thinkster related, but Sam Julian's putting creating a course for us for Thinkster on Gatsby uh, and GraphQL. So. I'm learning Gatsby. Nice. Gatsby's cool technology. Yep, cool technology. We should right. probably do a Gatsby episode on uh, JavaScript Jabber. Yeah, we should. Any? Sorry, is there any other picks? I, I definitely wanted to hear what you wanted to do. Uh, no, I just wanted to let people know. We've talked about a lot of other um, technology options to learn. Mm-hmm. This week, we I think it was today, actually, we launched a bunch of podcasts. So Adventures in Blockchain, Adventures in .NET, Adventures in DevOps. I feel like I'm missing one. Sustain our software. So that's open source sustainability. SOS. SOS. <laughs> yep. And I feel like I'm forgetting one. But if you go to devchat.tv, you can see those. So cool. All right. Sweet. Good episode. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, folks, we will have another episode uh, later this week and we will be talking about 10x Engineer. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.